Hello, and welcome to the Islamic Empire's podcast. Alright, so before we start our inaugural episode to this podcast, I just want to get some house cleaning out the way. This will be a long-form history podcast focusing on, as the title suggests, different Islamic empires. My goal is to focus on this rich and expansive part of history through a more objective lens than other podcasts. I'll try to combine Islamic sources with more modern academic sources to come to the best conclusion possible. The first empire we will be talking about is the reign of the four caliphs, or the Khulafa al-Rashidun. Some may ask why I decided to start with the four caliphs instead of the beginning of the Muslim empire under the Prophet Muhammad I did this for two reasons. First, the life of the Prophet in Arabic, the Sirah, is a core part of the religion of Islam. And as a practicing Muslim, my own biases would be called into question. Second, this period has been covered extensively by other scholars who have much more knowledge than me and I feel like they will give an objectively better experience than I ever could. I would personally recommend Sheikh Yasir Qadi's series on the Sirah if you wish to learn more about the life of the Prophet Muhammad To begin our story, we will go to the year 11th after Hijrah, to the 13th of Rabi'il Awwal and the city of Medina, where the Prophet Muhammad had died early that morning. With the death of the leader of the Muslims, a new leader would have to be chosen as soon as possible. And surprise, surprise, if you didn't know, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, the closest confidant to the Prophet Muhammad would eventually be chosen to fulfill the role of Khalifa. The election of Abu Bakr is one of the most contentious events in human history. To truly understand the significance of Abu Bakr's election, we must first understand the context in which it occurred. A few hours after the death of the Prophet, the Ansar, the original inhabitants of Medina, were driven by a desire to ensure that the Muslim community continued under strong leadership. This drove them to meet at their regular meeting place at the Siqifa, or garden, of the Banu Sa'idah sub-tribe. The Ansar's intention, as stated by Umar ibn al-Khattab, the only first-hand account we have of this event, was to elect a new leader from amongst themselves, excluding the Muhajirun who had immigrated from Mecca with Muhammad The possible candidate was Sa'ad ibn Ubad, a respected figure from amongst the Ansar. Before the passing of the Prophet Muhammad Sa'ad ibn Ubad was one of the most prominent figures amongst the Ansar in Medina. Showcasing his commitment to Islam and leadership qualities, him and the rest of the Banu Khazraj tribe actively supported the Prophet before, during, and after his migration to Medina. He participated in battles such as the Battle of Badr, putting him in the elite of the Sahab. However, it was not just his martial contributions that set Sa'ad apart. His generosity and kindness were equally notable. Sa'ad extended a warm welcome to the Muhajirun who joined the Prophet in Medina, opening his home and providing support. There was once a story that the people of the Sufa, the poorest amongst the Muhajirun, while other Ansar would take two or three of them, Sa'ad would take 80 of them all at once and bring them to his home and feed them. His willingness to share resources and offer assistance played a crucial role in building the strong bond between the Muhajirun and the Ansar, 
an essential foundation for the growth of the entire Muslim community. Saad's leadership qualities were evident in various aspects of his life even before the Hijrah of the Prophet Muhammad He played a significant role in the Second Pledge of Aqaba, a pivotal event where the Ansar pledged their allegiance to the Prophet Muhammad and promised to support and defend him. He was one of the 12 people who represented their sub-tribes at the Second Pledge. Within his tribe, Saad held a respected position of leadership, mediating disputes between tribes members, and promoting peace. His wisdom, integrity, and dedication earned him the respect and admiration of his fellow tribesmen. Thus, he was the main man they wanted to become the Khalifa. Wilfred Madelung suggested that the absence of the Mahajirun indicated the Ansar's intention to regain control of Medina. They might have assumed that the Muhajirun might return to Mecca after the Prophet's death. Alternatively, Ibn Ishaq and Ibn Hisham suggested that the Ansar wished to prevent total Muhajirun control over the growing Muslim lands. Amidst these deliberations, news of the Saqifah meeting reached Muhajirun. Abu Bakr, Umar, and Abu Ubaidah decided to form a delegation of Muhajirun and head to the Saqifah. On the way there, these three met two men whom, who informed them of the Ansar's decision and advised them to turn back and discuss amongst the Muhajirun. Umar and Abu Bakr decided it was best for these three and the Ansar to come to a consensus. Once they arrived at the Saqifah meeting, Abu Bakr... Wait, before I go any further of the events at the Saqifah, I should probably explain who these three men are. Abu Bakr would eventually be the man who leaves the Saqifah as the leader of the Muslim Empire. Born as Abdullah ibn Abi Qahafa in Mecca around 51 before Hijrah, Abu Bakr hailed from the esteemed Banu Taym tribe. Even before the revelation of Islam, he shared a close friendship with the Prophet. This enduring bond proved crucial as Abu Bakr embraced Islam in his earliest days, becoming one of the Prophet's earliest converts and according to many sources, he was the first adult male convert to Islam. His conversion marked the beginning of a journey marked by his commitment to the faith of Islam. Abu Bakr's significance lies in both his role as a financial and moral pillar for the early Muslim community. His wealth was instrumental in aiding and sheltering persecuted believers during the tumultuous early Meccan period. His unwavering faith earned him the revered title of Al-Siddiq, the truthful one. He believed in the Prophet's message without a shadow of a doubt and stood firm against non-believers. In the year of the Hijrah, 1 AH, when the Prophet Muhammad and his followers faced increasing persecution in Mecca, it was Abu Bakr who stood by the Prophet's side during the pivotal migration to Medina. This act of loyalty would forever cement his legacy in Islam. In the Quran, he would refer to as As-Sahib, the companion of the Prophet Muhammad Throughout the Prophet's life, Abu Bakr's devotion was evident. He was the most trusted confidant and was appointed by the Prophet to lead prayers in his absence, showcasing the deep respect and trust between them. Abu Bakr's loyalty was most evident during the battles of Badr and Uhud, where he displayed bravery and resilience on the battlefield. As we approach the final years of the Prophet's life, Abu Bakr's role becomes even more prominent. His leadership qualities, steadfastness, and commitment made him an obvious choice as a candidate for succession.
when the Prophet ﷺ entered the death prongs of his life, he refused anyone but Abu Bakr to lead the Muslims in prayer, showing, according to many Sunni scholars, that Abu Bakr was the clear successor to the Prophet. Umar ibn al-Khattab was born 13 years after the Prophet. Umar was born into the Bani Adi clan, a sub-tribe within the larger Quraysh tribe. His pre-Islamic life was characterized by strength of character and leadership within his community. However, it was the winds of change brought about by the emergence of Islam that would soon reshape his destiny. Umar's conversion to Islam in the year 6 before Hijrah stands as a pivotal moment in his life. It said that upon hearing his sister and brother-in-law had embraced Islam, Umar stormed off to confront them. However, upon hearing a verse from the Quran, he was overcome with a profound realization. Instead of confrontation, he found himself at the doorstep of the Prophet Muhammad, pledging his allegiance to the faith. The Prophet's prayer that Umar's conversion would serve as a source of strength for the believers indeed came to fruition. His journey from an ardent opponent of the nascent faith to a fervent believer is a testament to the profound impact that faith can have on an individual. Notably, his conversion was no private affair. It was a public declaration made in the very heart of Mecca. This fearless act earned him both respect and opposition, showcasing his determination and unwavering resolve. The significance of Umar's conversion resonated throughout the early Muslim community. His newfound faith invigorated the believers and brought an added layer of strength to their ranks, as he was one of the strongest warriors in Mecca. Moreover, his leadership qualities began to manifest as he extended protection to fellow Muslims who faced persecution in Mecca. This was an early indication of his role as a guardian and protector of the community and a staunch advocate for justice. Central to Umar's early years of Islam was his profound interaction with the Prophet Muhammad His strong personality and direct manner led him to offer counsel to the Prophet on various matters. Umar's commitment was unwavering. He stood by the Prophet's side in both times of triumph and adversity. His resolute defense of the Prophet, even when confronted with danger and harm, firmly established his position as a valiant protector of the faith. Umar's significance continued to grow as he navigated the challenges of the early Muslim community. His unyielding commitment was evident during the Hijrah, where his active participation in community matters made him a prominent figure. The wisdom of his counsel and strategic insights were sought by the Prophet himself. His participation in significant events such as the Treaty of Ubed Hudaybiyah in 68 between the Prophet Muhammad and the Quraysh. Although the peace would not last the full 10 years that was agreed upon, it showcased Umar's ability as a leader very early on. Furthermore, Umar's valor during the critical battles like Badr and Uhud underscored his devotion to the cause of Islam. His leadership was recognized by both the Prophet and his contemporaries, solidifying his position as a central figure within the community. Abu Ubaidah was born approximately 13 years after the Prophet to the Al-Harith ibn Fihr tribe of the Quraysh. Abu Ubaidah's journey to Islam was marked by his unwavering integrity and compassion. Even before embracing the faith, he was known for his honesty, earning the title Amin al-Ummah, or the custodian of the community. His character set him apart in a society undergoing transformation. Upon embracing Islam in its early days, Abu Ubaidah's commitment to the faith deepened. He was part of the group that migrated to Medina in 1AH, leaving behind persecution in his home of Mecca. In Medina, 
his virtues continued to shine. He participated in the battles of Bedr and Uhud, standing steadfast even in the face of adversity. During the battle of Uhud, when the Prophet Muhammad was almost completely separated from his army, Abu Ubaidah showed his valor. He defended the Prophet even to the point that his two front teeth were completely torn out when he tried to pull armor shrapnel out of the Prophet's cheek. His role as a leader emerged later on in Medina, where he demonstrated wisdom and balanced judgment. The Prophet entrusted him with responsibilities, highlighting his capacity for administrating communal affairs and distributing charity. Returning back to the incident at the Saqifa, Abu Bakr stood up and articulated the Meccan's position. Abu Bakr did not hesitate to give the Ansar the laurels, but he believed that someone from the Quraysh tribe must lead the rising Muslim empire, or the Arab tribes would never recognize their authority. Later scholars quote the Hadith of Musnad ibn Abi Shayba, volume 12, page 170, that the Khalifa should be Qurashi, but I cannot find a source that claims that Abu Bakr uses Hadith as evidence during the Khalifa incident. After asserting the Quraysh's right to the Caliphate, Abu Bakr raised the hands of Umar and Abu Ubaidah and told the Ansar to pick amongst them. An Ansari then offered a compromise, that there should be one leader from the Muhajirun and one from the Ansar. This compromise caused tempers to flare and voices to be raised in protest. Finally, Umar raised his voice above the crowd and ordered them all to give Abu Bakr the Pledge of Allegiance. However, after the majority of the Ansari delegates gave Abu Bakr the Pledge of Allegiance, the events took a dramatic turn. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, the one the Ansar originally wished to become the Khalifa, refused to give Abu Bakr the Pledge of Allegiance and faced physical violence that left him bitter and he steadfastly refused to recognize both Abu Bakr and later on Umar's Caliphates and would die after being asked to leave Medina during Umar's Khalifa. After the meeting at the Saqifah had finished, Abu Bakr and Umar returned to the Prophet's Masjid and gave a lecture, commanding the people to give the Pledge of Allegiance to Abu Bakr. This was done by all those present, and Abu Bakr was then the rightful Khalifa of the Muslim Empire. Sadly, life is usually not that easy, and such an important position would not only be contested by Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, but by Ali ibn Abu Talib, the son-in-law and cousin of the Prophet and the Prophet's subclan, the Banu Hashim. This belief that Ali was the rightful Khalifa is the basis for the Sunni-Shia split and the first and most major schism in Islam. But sadly, I'm going to have to end this episode here. And the next episode, we will be going into the historical implications of the Sunni-Shia split.